folks, it is March 22nd. We are officially in springtime, and that means the Masters is right around the corner. The golf swing is in full season, and it means another beautiful edition of the Drop Zone. Sean, I'm excited to be here. Hey, me too. We're going to do something a little bit different on uh, on this week's edition of the show. The Honda Classic does not necessarily merit our full deep dive attention. No offense to the good folks at PGA National. I was so uninspired. <laughs> so uninspired this weekend. Like, it, that's the, the hangover of the Players' Championship, the hangover of, you know, the WGC match play, which is coming this week, the, the, the like, pre-hangover of the Masters. There's only so many, like, there's only so many events that we can pay all this attention to. Like, it's great that Matt Jones, like, was a buzzsaw this week, but, like, if you're going to get me to tune in for a four-shot victory a week after watching like all of the players, that's just asking a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a lot of attention demanded of the golf public. It's obviously too much of a commitment for some of the golfers, even though, I mean, what's funny is a lot of these guys literally live down the street from PGA National. But anyway, all that to say, we're not going to get too deep into the PGA National world. Instead... We're going to skip to something that I think is pretty fun, Sean. We are, believe it or not, about halfway, actually just over halfway through the PGA Tour season, which started all the way back in September. You'll remember back at the Safeway Open, at the U.S. Open. We've already had multiple majors this year. So it is time for the mid-season PGA Tour awards. And these are fun because... They're going to look a lot different at the end of the actual PGA Tour season. So this is just a moment in time, but I wanted to capture them. Uh, maybe it won't. Maybe they're going to be exactly the same. I would like to point out that even though this is the WGC Match Play Week, the uh, secondary event on the PGA Tour this week is the Corrales Punta Cana Classic. I think that's what I think it's a classic. Uh, that's the second time we've had that event. Resort and club championship. I think. <laughs> My mistake. That's the second. It's the CPR, the CPR club championship. We, we're <laughs> the CPR. We're doing that event for the second time this year. That event also took place in September. Do you know who won it? I do not. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No. Hudson Swafford. Huddy Swafford. Yes. Hudson Swafford. Um, so, you know, I imagine he's, back to defend his title there because i don't think his world rank is high enough to include himself in the wgc match play but yes dylan thank you for preparing all of these uh mid-season awards this is right up your alley i know you like to hand out awards so why don't you hand out the first award i like to give out some awards sean i like to recognize the folks for their uh for their performances and with that in mind let's start with the best single round performance now how we're going to do this is I'm going to toss out my pick, and then you're essentially just going to tell me how great a pick it is, or on the uh, on the off chance that you see it differently, or how horrible why I'm wrong. Um, so, yeah. my best single round performance so far this year. I was tempted at first to go with Patrick Cantlay, who shot 11 under 61 in the final round of the Amex, um, and 61 is the lowest anybody has shot this year. Uh, I was tempted by my recency bias to, to give a nod to our boy Matt Jones, who just shot 61. But of course, the most memorable 61 so far this year is Jordan Spieth on the Saturday at Waste Management, where he oh, yeah. essentially <laughs> took over Super Bowl weekend. 
brought eyeballs to the golf world, single-handedly changed the conversation, and uh, you know just had us all tuned into a Saturday in Phoenix, just a, a small regular PGA Tour event. Sean, good pick or bad pick? Great pick. I will give you the the benefit of the doubt here. You've done the research. I couldn't remember all the great individual performances this year. Mm. Um, so Spieth is definitely one of them. And I also didn't remember that one because I was snowboarding that day. And so I didn't watch any of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was kind of a lost month for you, wasn't it? It was not a lost month. I watched a lot of golf. I just didn't watch the days uh, where Spieth played great. I, I really kind of watched the days where he crumbled on Sundays. Oh, fair enough. And I guess that, uh, that's actually a perfect transition to something that I had saved for later on in the show. But I mean, this is probably my favorite award. So let's just get right to it. The best Sunday golfer, Sean, do you have any guesses just off the top of your head? Like like who the, who's had the best performance on Sundays? Well, I mean, it's open to interpretation. Just the, just the bet. Who's been the best player on Sundays? Yeah. Well, my interpretation is like who played the most clutch golf in like a big moment that was on a Sunday. And so I went with Daniel Berger, DB straight vibing. That round at Pebble Beach was like, everyone was kind of on like pins and needles. That's what that course will do to you, both as a player and as a, view, as a viewer. Like you got to get it in the house and then you got to play clutch golf to finish with that approach on 17, your tee shot ear approach on 18. And Berger said he hit the best three wood of his life and the best putt of his life in order to make Eagle to win the tournament. Like, to me, that was at least one of the, the top three Sunday golfers. That was definitely elite. But, Sean, I took the uh, creative liberty to take this one in a slightly different direction. Looked more at just pure final round scoring average. And I think I could give the general public about 100 to 150 guesses before they settled on Tiger Woods. Our good friend Martin Trainer, who leads <laughs> the PGA Tour in final round scoring average. No way. Friend of the show. Sean, guess what Martin Trainer's final round scoring average is? Like 60. Oh, yeah, because he, he shot like a 65 in the final round. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he's probably like at like <laughs> 868 or something. This is the most terrific stat ever. Martin Trainer has played uh, a bunch of events this year, but he's only made one <laughs> cut. And in that one cut, he shot six under 64 on Sunday. So his scoring average is 64. That's the best on tour by two full strokes. Oh. So Martin trainer gets the best Sunday golfer award. Um, shout out to, uh, to our former player. We've each caddied for Martin in a, in a PGA tour event. And we hope that he gets, you know, awards of a different kind around the corner soon. Well done, Dylan. You surprised me. Thank you. That's all I wanted to do. Um, Sean, let's get to the coolest victory that nobody saw. And I know you said you watched a lot of Sundays, but I'm not necessarily sure that, uh, wow, this is actually sad because I didn't even note down what event it was. So I'm not going to look that up. But it was our boy, Brandon Grace, <laughs> who made a ridiculous eagle <laughs> down the stretch <laughs> to win the, dun, dun, dun. the Puerto Rico Open. Puerto on, Rico Dylan. Open, of course. Jesus. I know what my. <laughs> my first instinct was Bermuda. This is a bad take. That was, that I'm was sorry, buddy. Wrong. This is not a good take. Not a good oh, take all right. because the best golf, the best golf that no one watched, was or the best victory that nobody saw was Sergio at the Sanderson Farms. Mm. If you were crazy, uh, and you were, and Brandel was, 
and Jim Bones Mackay was, if you all were crazy about what Justin Thomas did on Sunday at uh, the Players' Championship, you have to be a little crazy about what Sergio Garcia did at Sanderson. He finished the week number one in strokes gained off the tee, number three in strokes gained approach, basically the best ball striker by multiple miles. He fended off Peter Malnati's final round of nine under. People forget about that. I don't remember that ever happening, but it happened. And he he hit like this epic three wood to, for a tap in eagle on the back nine. He threw his you know, his basically his walk off to win by one over Malnati was this dart, I think, of a nine iron into mm. tap in range to one foot. Like Sergio hit great, great shots and like earned his victory, his one shot win over someone who was going super low. And I honestly I forgot about it. That feels like a year ago. I mean, that feels like forever ago. I remember that walk off golf shot. I remember Peter Malnati waiting around with his kids and hanging out. I mean, I'm glad that you snuck in our first Players' Championship Sanderson Farms comparison of the show. It's, that's uh, Our friends at the tour are going to love that. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's fair. I think that a few more people saw that one maybe than, than watched the Puerto Rico Open. But um, Sergio hopefully well, yeah, will you not took have a, the... you, you chose <laughs> a secondary event. Like, literally, it wasn't even being broadcasted. <laughs> yeah, that's why nobody saw it. I think the Golf Channel did broadcast. I think it was just up against the uh, the concession final round. So that's always going to be a tough back and forth. All right, Sean, you ready for our next uh, next winner here? How about our best fill-in family caddy? Now, I think that Austin Johnson. Oh, this one I'm prepared for okay. you to get wrong. I I think that uh, Austin Johnson we should note is not qualified for this award. He is not a fill in. He's just the guy. What about Kessler? Oh, wow. That What about Kessler? See, I also Crane? did not include him because he's more of like a long-term. He did he he is a fill in, you could argue for Justine because but you know, that's a decision that happened like a half decade ago, so that's not one that I had in mind. To me it came down to it, it came down right. to two what are, what nominees. Um and I think someone that has gotten a lot of credit recently is Helen Story, Lee Westwood's fiance. Understandably, because, you know, A, you, you don't see a ton of female caddies out on the PGA Tour. And B, because Lee Westwood has been the freaking man. He finished runner-up two weeks in a row, had the 54-hole lead, all that. I think it's Reagan Sink. Stuart Sink's son has absolutely revitalized yep. him. And he, he led him to a a Safeway open win in his first tournament back. And he's basically just turned back the clock. Stuart Sink might be playing the best golf of his career right now. I mean, maybe not major championship winning golf, but in terms of consistency, solid play, he's put himself back in the conversation in a way that I don't think anyone would have predicted. Am I right? I mean, I think in terms of like technically, yeah, you're probably right. However, I would like to just place an honorable mention on Sean Spieth, Jordan Spieth's father, who caddied for him at Sherwood in the Zozo Championship. Michael Greller, you will recall, mm. his mom had passed away kind of suddenly. So Spieth gave Greller the week off and said, hey, dad, come loop for me. Now, dad's looped for him in the past, but... I'm just going to read off the, the golf.com article because we covered this at the time. But um, apparently, 
on the 11th hole on Thursday, Spieth was trying to grind out like this par four or this par five. And he had hit a pretty like less than stellar approach shot. So this is Jordan Spieth. I'm stepping into the ball and my dad goes, just don't overdo it. So Jordan says, I step back. I step back in. I'm like, dad, there's like one thing or two things you just can't do. And that's say, do not hit it somewhere (laughs) while I'm stepping into the shot. And then his dad responded, well, you know, you did it on number 11, so I didn't want you to do it on 13. (laughs) Basically making a cardinal sin of caddies saying like, look, dude, don't screw up like you did last time. Uh, Yeah. I mean, if we can take anything from that, maybe he kind of talked some sense into Jordan. And now we've seen Jordan make one hell of a comeback. Unreal. I mean, I like that he he committed a cardinal sin, and then he sort of like backed it up with another cardinal sin, which is just bringing up some negative energy <laughs> from a few holes ago. That's terrific. All right, Sean, let's get to the best player without a win. Uh, this is sensitive ground for some of our nominees, um, but I think it's hard to really. I mean, yeah, we talked about Lee Westwood, a couple second places, but even those felt like at least you know, sort of victories. We didn't expect a lot from him. Jordan Spieth has similarly had uh, contention, but that contention has felt like progress. Xander Shoffley has struggled to, to get across the finish line, but in this case, Tony Finau's our guy. How could he not be? I mean, nobody came closer to a win without getting a win than Tony Finau at the Genesis Invitational. Of course, Max Homa took him down there in a playoff. That was part of a three-tournament stretch, well, a four-tournament stretch, where Tony Finau finished fourth, second, second, second. Uh, one of those was in Saudi Arabia, so not technically eligible for our PGA Tour awards, but still, you get the point. Tony Finau has been playing really, really well, but he has not won. Uh, this is ground we've covered plenty of times. But, Sean, first off, is that the correct pick? That's the correct pick, and... The only thing I'll add to it is that it's not just that he's not winning, but it's a little bit about how he's mm-hmm. not winning because you look at where he sat through one shot of the playoff at the Genesis probably should have won. <laughs> you see him in the, in the fairway there on 18 at Torrey Pines. He's got a hybrid in hand. This is your winning shot. Like, Hit it onto the green. Give yourself a chance at eagle. You'll tie Patrick Reed. You'll get in the clubhouse with the lead. He puts it in the water Mm. hazard. These are kind of the things that That Tony Finau has been doing. It happens. He shot seven under at Riv on Sunday. But he, like, three-putted from just off the green. And, like, it wasn't that hard of a two-putt. Like, I know I'm not a PGA Tour player, but all things considered, it wasn't that hard of a two-putt. He did it on the back nine. Like, he gets there, he sinks a little bit. He rises, but he sinks just enough that he doesn't win. We're hoping that that Genesis was more encouraging than it was discouraging, but it's crazy how it would have just felt so much different if there had never been a playoff. If Finau had just said, look, I did everything I possibly could. I shot the round of the day on a Sunday. I proved that to myself. Instead, we left with a distinctly mixed taste in our mouth. Yep. All right. Let's get to a more positive spin on this one. The most underrated golfer of this PGA Tour season. Sean, I think it's your boy, Joaquin Neiman. 
I see you making a face really? at me. The listeners are not really going to be able to uh, to see just how skeptical you're looking right now. But we're talking about a guy <laughs> with multiple runner-up finishes this year. He's you know, among the PGA Tour lead in total strokes gained. He's in the top of all these standings. The FedEx Cup, he's inside the top 10. He's been a made-cut machine. He hasn't missed a cut this year. He's been really just looking good. He's one of the best ball strikers on the Tour that people are kind of just sleeping on. And I think that maybe your response proves that he is underrated. Okay. Well, he's definitely underrated. Like people don't appreciate it. What he does, how he gets the ball into the hole. He's the best, one of the best ball strikers on the planet and underrated driver of the golf ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, My, my pick more so is I think this guy is probably more dangerous than Joaquin. And I think he's probably had a very similar season and hasn't gotten the credit for it uh cameron smith has had multiple stretches of really 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 good golf in this short like six month season two different stretches one in 2020 one in 2021 where he's had three straight weeks of top 20 finishes contending in all these events he he feels like he has major championship potential Mm -hmm. i don't think that's an overstatement he's ranked 27th in the world he is kind of the the guy when it comes to like future presidents cups that we're going to look to from Australia. You know, he's taking the baton in a way from Adam Scott, Jason Day, and Mark Leishman. He he's like the generation's next generation for the Aussies. So, uh, I think people are still sleeping on him and I think I mean, T2 at the Masters every round in the 60s. It shows kind of what he's got and uh yeah, don't be shocked if he wins a major in the next 2 years. Ooh. All right, you heard it here first. Cameron Smith, mortal lock to win a major, says Sean Zock. <laughs> you are right. I mean, Dustin Johnson's win was so convincing at the Masters that we kind of lost in the shuffle the guys that were at least giving him a run for his money. Um, Sung Jay was there. You know, he he's finally becoming properly rated, I think, because he just plays so much and he's on the leaderboard so much that people are aware of him. Cameron Smith... I like the case because people probably still think of him more for his vibe and his look than they do for his play. You know, he's become like the mullet mustache guy. He's got that perfect wispy blonde Larry Bird hair, um, plus the Australian accent. I mean, he should be and, and probably is a cult hero. So, I mean, hopefully he just keeps winning. I like that for, for most underrated. All right, Sean, rookie of the year. It's a funny one this year because Technically, if we were the PGA Tour, Is there it? are no rookies. There aren't any. <laughs> I think there's technically one. I think Rafael Campos, yeah. if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is technically the rookie of the year. But we are not beholden to PGA Tour rookie of the year standards. Uh, we are not even limited to guys that aren't even eligible for the PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoffs, which means we can easily select Will Zalatoris. Um, Sean, do you have first off an issue with his eligibility? No. This might end up being the most clear-cut rookie of the year race since Tiger won it back in mm-hmm. 96. Like He's played 13 tour events. He's finished inside the top 25 10 times. Barely ever plays bad golf. You give him four rounds, he's going to make his way up the leaderboard. He is like... Look, I don't want to make this 
this prediction or this comp too lightly, but he hits his irons a lot like Colin Morikawa hits his irons. And that's mm. how you make a 25-year tour career. That's the bottom line. <laughs> if you want to play on, on tour for 20 to 25 years, you have to hit your irons incredibly well. And so this kid he, has got it. He looks like a sustainable tour player. I think you, you're you correct about that. I mean, he finished T6 at even the if US he Open. Looked, even if he's got like a 28-size waist. Yeah, he does. He doesn't look like – but he smashes it. That's the crazy thing. He doesn't look like a bomber. He looks like – uh, what he looks like the the caddy in Happy Gilmore. That's what people were saying. The little blonde, skinny caddy. But you know who used to look like that too? Justin Thomas. Yeah, fair. He was tiny. He's filled into his body a little bit. Like sometimes Colin Morikawa used to be even tinier than he is now. Like that's the kind of the thing. These guys graduate from college without really being on a huge like weightlifting program, and then they start to get bigger, and the ball goes further, and they still have their amazing swings. Zalatoris finished T6 at Wingfoot, his, you know, first PGA Tour event of his, really his PGA Tour career. T8 at your favorite, Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship the next week. Then he had his only missed cut of the season, um, but then he got right back after it with, you know, just a T5 at the Shriners, and he's just racked up top 20s, top 25 since then. So we're inevitably going to see a victory from this guy before long but i mean for now we can give him the award he is far and away your rookie of the year apologies to rafael Campos. i don't actually know i think they have to still like vote or something to to confirm that a few of these guys are eligible for the rookie of the year but we'll kind of sounds like you've done your research on that it sounds like i've done my half-baked research which was you know half halfway through the pga's tour season only seems appropriate uh, Sean, this one is a little touchy. I want to get to biggest question mark of the PGA Tour season. And it's got to go to our boy, Ricky Fowler. Part of this <laughs> is the scrutiny that, that comes on Ricky Fowler. Certainly, people have played much worse golf than Ricky, but they haven't necessarily played worse golf with the correct combination of scrutiny, attention, and then poor play. Ricky just finished off another disappointing weekend. He shot nine over this week, finished T65 at the Honda Classic. And no one is saying that Ricky is is done and finished. He's still a young guy. He's, what, 32 years old? But the fact that he's missing the Masters this year, assuming he doesn't win in Texas in two weeks, just really feels like it's marking the times after a decade at the masters. He's finally fallen far enough the last two years that he's not qualified. Good take or bad take? No, it's a good take. It's the appropriate take. It's the correct take. The thing about Ricky is that, what did you say? You said no one has really played poor golf in the way he has most recently while also being under the microscope and also kind of not responding to it. Spieth has played worse than Ricky has. <laughs> like, look at Jordan Spieth a year ago. He was playing horrible golf under even greater microscope. So um, you're half right about that. But the thing about Ricky, uh, he can take a little bit of solace in Spieth. Like, he, he's so positive. He looks to the next best shot that he's going to hit. He's going to come back. He's wickedly talented. Like, he will rise again. But, he, you know, these guys have to bottom out at some point. And – 
what is tricky is that the media wants to figure out when you're going to bottom out before maybe you've even figured it out. And golf fans on Twitter are going to feel very similarly. We don't know when his, where his bottom out will be. It'll probably be soon. Again, he's too talented, but we didn't know that Spieths was going to be pretty darn low. <laughs> we would have never imagined that him bottoming out was as bad as it was last year. So he's definitely the biggest question mark. I mean, literally a question mark. I constantly am getting text messages in the past month from friends who love Ricky Fowler. I'm like, what's up with Ricky? My dad just texted me the other day. Ricky's not going to be in the Masters. What's up with that? And it's like, <laughs> it's a it's yeah. a done deal in everybody's minds. And so his his performance has made it not so certain. You know what's interesting? He'll be trying to qualify for the U.S. Open just like you. Oh, geez. Well, he's going to get a, a bid through the, the first round. But, yeah, we'll see you there, Ricky. We'll yeah, see you down at Torrey. just like you. <laughs> One way or another. Um, Sean, I want to toss it to you for the most inspiring performance of the year. This is kind of a guest presentation uh, because I just wanted to see what you came up with. I think there's no other obvious answer besides Chris Kirk. Now, people who mm. listen to this podcast probably know that Chris Kirk has battled uh, alcoholism and the addiction that comes with that and depression, and he's had some incredibly dark days in the last three or four years. Um maybe even longer um, since he kind of came onto the scene as a you know, post Georgia grad along with all those guys. And he won tour events. Uh, remember that in Hawaii, Sony open, he entered Sunday needing a top three finish in the event. And he goes on to bogey a couple of his mm-hmm. first holes. I think two of his first three holes. So he needed to finish well. And then he struggled right away. He ends up making this ridiculous charge on the back nine ends up finishing in the top three, ends up contending for the event, almost won the event. Uh, and he needed that top three finish to to maintain his tour membership. Like, if he didn't have that, he was going to end up going to the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. So Chris Kirk, he had bottled out as about as low as you can get for, uh, for uh, a tour golfer and had risen back and played great golf exactly when he needed it. You see that from these guys, you know, when they need it and not always do they respond, but he responded. So that was pretty inspiring. That was really cool. That was a super cool story. And that is when we get some of these uh, weeks that don't have such high wattage in terms of, of star tour player power, that is the beauty of it. We get these stories like Chris Kirk, where a win doesn't just mean, you know, something for their legacy. It really means something just for his day-to-day livelihood. Um, winning does not necessarily mean redemption. We talked about that with Justin Thomas at the players. It's, it's, it means you're a, a really good golfer and it means for someone like Chris Kirk job security, it means that, you know, you can continue chasing the dream in a positive way. Um, and we saw in a different way, you know, even inspiring moments yesterday, Brandon Hagee got out there early and posted, uh, I think he shot five under 65. Whatever he did, he, he charged up about 35 spots on the leaderboard. 66, but that was good enough to to jump from. Oh, yeah. No, he jumped from, you know, about 18th after shooting 76 on Saturday to what ended up being solo second once everyone crumbled down the stretch and just completely changed the trajectory of his PGA Tour career. He had had one top 10 ever and now he just cleared 760k 
cleared his PGA Tour card for next year, I think. So good on you, Brandon Hagen. But 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 more to the point, these small time PGA Tour events can produce um, the biggest stories. Two events left, or two awards left on the docket here, Sean. First, most improved, and this, in my mind, is going to a guy that we've already discussed. It's Jordan Spieth. It's Jordan Spieth. How could it not be? I mean, this is this includes some of the uh, some of the questionable equation <laughs> that I used on that Ricky Fowler uh, biggest question mark award because that scrutiny is required. And and now Jordan Spieth seems like he's answering the bell for a guy that had fallen outside of relevance, really. Uh, we didn't know what he was up to. There was just an article that came out. Ryan Lavner wrote it for golf channel came out this Mm. morning, which cast it in a new light, cast his struggles in a new light, said that, uh, he'd had a, a bone spur in his left wrist or his left hand that he hadn't told anyone about that. Maybe he should have gotten surgery in 2018, but you know, he started messing with his grip and his swing instead. And, and maybe that was a factor. So there's Lots of intrigue going on with Jordan Spieth. Last December, he didn't touch a club for four weeks, which you'd figure for a guy that likes to work hard and likes to grind through swing changes. That doesn't sound quite right, but maybe it was just what he needed to kind of reevaluate because he came out in 2020, and Sean, he's been really good. He's been really fun to watch. Um, All right, well, first off, am I correct about this pick? Yes, you're correct, but this has a gigantic asterisk next to it gigantic asterisk because um, one I think when you talk about like most improved you have to consider I think like where these people have been in years past Um, meaning like Jordan Spieth was the best golfer in the world in 2015 and again Mm -hmm. I think in 2017 and so um, you're not wrong again last year and basically the preceding um, 30 maybe 30 months, he was very much not good. He was lost. And I think he was actually even more lost than he gave on. Like, I think he, he kind of grinded his way through some impressive finishes that really kind of masked what was going on with him mentally within his swing. He, he finished T three at Beth page by like, like six strokes. So he wasn't contention, but he got a bunch of world ranking points. So he didn't plummet Mm -hmm. down the world ranking chart. Um, but I think I think it was worse than he than he really gave off. But this is where the big asterisk really comes in. Is he's he's really only had four good finishes. <laughs> like he he has done it. He's been the most improved golfer on the PGA Tour for two months. He needs to do it for six months. Uh, he has not won yet. He has sneaky had the Sunday scaries. I need to remind people that as great as he has been on the Saturdays now, he's not been that great on Sundays. He has not closed it off when he had the chance. Can he do it for 72 holes? Can he win an event? If he does, 100% most improved. All right, so in your mind, Speed still has to kind of validate it. Maybe one performance this week in Austin, in his home state, Texas, could do it. Or maybe at his second home in Augusta, Georgia, uh, maybe a, you know, maybe a top five finish at the masters might do it for you. It might put you over the edge. You're shaking your head. I'm shaking my head about the first one, asking him to win the match play 
is actually, I think, people think it's easier because you don't have to beat the entire field. You really just have to beat who's playing you. But Spieth has been, has shown like these nine hole stretches where things get a little loose. <laughs> and if he has a really bad first nine holes against whoever he plays in the first round, then all of a sudden he's really, you know, he plays Matthew Fitzpatrick, I think. Like Matthew Fitzpatrick could, could totally beat Spieth five and four. Like you could totally see that happening. Fitz is playing great golf and Spieth could play all right and not make it to the weekend. So. I'm not buying the match play. I am buying his chances at Augusta. You can spray it. You can play recovery golf. If the flat stick is good, he'll be great. This so, was last year was the first time I remember mistaking Jordan Spieth for Matt Fitzpatrick instead of the other way around because he's always looked like, you know, the the slightly smaller, blonder, skinnier version of Jordan Spieth. But you know, then he jumped him in the world rankings. Sponsored by Under Armour. Um, yeah. The Under Armour sponsorship doesn't do anybody any help because you just see that X all That's over right. them. And it's like, wait, they're the same person. Same person. All right, Sean, it's time for the final award of the night. MVP. This is the big one. The player of the year. The player of the half year in this case. And I have to say, when I went into this exercise, I expected to pick one player, and I ended up picking another. And I want to know, I want to oh know gosh. who you thought would be the MVP, first of all. The MVP is Bryson. He's the only person with two wins. Can you give me a better answer? <laughs> yeah, I, it's Bryson. It's Bryson. <laughs> but I thought it would be Dustin Johnson. I mean, I was kind of blending together the end of last season with the beginning of this season, I think. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously there's no bigger prize in the sport than that green jacket that Dustin Johnson has been wearing around town. So I thought it would be Dustin Johnson because he he couldn't no one could beat him at the end of the 2019 to 2020 season but now that we're in the 2020 to 2021 he won the Masters and then maybe he you know figured that was oh, good enough for out, a while dude. if we As were including his yeah <laughs> he vacationed he a little the bit the Golf Classic which he maybe he could have beaten Victor Hovland there he did win in Saudi Arabia. That does not count for our purposes here. Um, but his last two weeks, he's or his last two tournaments, he's finished T54, T48. That doesn't really do much for me. When you compare it to Bryson DeChambeau, who, is, who has been even better than I would have thought, when you look at the strokes gain numbers, he is uh, gaining two and a half shots on the field. He's playing really good golf. He has two wins. You top it off with a couple other top tens and then a T3 at the players where it didn't really seem like the course should set up super well for his his bulky new self. I think you're talking about a guy that is arguably the best golfer in the world right now. Certainly this season, he's been the best golfer on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I think right now in this exact moment, you're playing an event at any course in the world tomorrow. He is... You would have a difficult time looking at all the stats and being like, yep, DJ's going to beat him or mm -hmm. JT's definitely going to beat him. He, he, like no one is definitely going to beat Bryson and he might totally flame out and like his driver might be bad. And you know, what's funny is when his driver kind of gets a little bit loose first, the ball still goes a hell of a long way. So he's still like gaining, even if those like really bad shots, as long as they stay in play, those are still gained uh, advantages on the field. But Sometimes he throttles down 
He hit a bunch of four irons at TPC Sawgrass. I think he hit five wood or three wood off the tee. A good amount of time too. Like he remains one of the smartest golfers on the planet. He does some things. I feel like this is like our third podcast in a row trying to rationalize Bryson to the audience. <laughs> no one has no one has like hated the idea yet. No one has definitively loved it. But he's still one of the best putters on the planet. He's like a he's like an upper fifteen percent putter, top one percent driver, top thirty percent iron player, and and top fifty percent uh short game. Like you could change his name from Bryson DeChambeau to Jason Day, and if he was doing all those things, people would be freaking out. I think what you saw at the players was Bryson being able to dial it slightly back, which was really encouraging because it just it looks like he's back to playing golf when he's you know at a tournament at least. We saw during his off season so much about the lifting, uh, the speed training, the you know cooking bacon, staring into his kitchen. Um, that now to see him like cutting back on weight a little bit, changing his diet up a little bit, changing some of his strategy so that it's a little bit less aggressive. That seems like the formula that will find the happy medium where yes, he can take that new aggression, that new raw power, and then also combine it with the ridiculous golfing ability that he already had and that he had already shown us for, for years and years. So Bryson, this isn't, it's better than a preseason MVP. It's not as good as a full season player of the year award. It's your mid season MVP. Congrats to Bryson. Congrats, Bryson. And you know what? If he doesn't finish in the top 10 at Augusta, that doesn't mean we were wrong. I want people to know that. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Uh, and especially also, well, not especially, but even if it, things don't go his way at Austin this week. Bryson is here to stay, whether people like it or not. I think mostly they like it. He's great for the game. Um, Sean, I think that that is going to... So is the drop zone. So is the drop zone. Sean, I think that that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for listening along. Uh, if you liked our midseason awards, maybe think about leaving us a, a five-star rating or a little review that goes a long way. Uh, Sean, I'm excited for the golf this week, and I'm excited to break it down with you next Monday. We'll see you then.